do a little Bible trivia. Who, uh, who was the Bible's greatest babysitter? Anybody know? It was David because he rocked Goliath to sleep. One more, one more. What kind of man was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless. <laughs> All right, I'll stop while I'm ahead. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians this morning. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You weren't wrong. Boaz was single before he got married, but he was also ruthless. Second <laughs> uh, Thessalonians, I may have said first. Second Thessalonians. And we're going to start reading in verse 13. But we are bound to thank but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren. Beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereinto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I want to speak to you this morning about the pastor's heart. This is the, uh, the end of Pastor Appreciation Month, and I want to thank you again for all the love that you've shown me and Lori uh, with your gifts and cards and goodies that you've sent me and things, and uh, it's just really been Wonderful, uh, wonderful month, in, enjoying that. Appreciate also, most importantly, all of the prayers that you've offered up for us. Please continue to do that. But I uh, want to speak to you this morning from the pastor's heart. And we, uh, we've been studying eschatology, and we're going to continue doing that, but I thought we'd take a breather today, uh, talking about end times. And, and let's look at Paul's pastoral heart, and I hope that this will encourage you, and I hope that you'll just be blessed I just want us to just soak, soak in the words of God this morning because this is so, so rich as we go through it. But uh, anyway, before I pray, I just want to say that I love you. I love you with all my heart. I love you and I appreciate you. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for this congregation. Thank you for allowing me to be the pastor here. And Lord, just help me to preach your word today. Help me to stay out of the way. Lord, strengthen us and equip us, help us to do your will. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what's been happening with the Thessalonians? Well, they had gotten word uh, by a prophecy, perhaps, or, and a circulated letter, a forged letter, that they had missed the rapture and that they were in the tribulation period. So you might understand that would be terribly unsettling. If Paul had taught them that they were going to be raptured, and then they get word that they had missed it. And that was, they were shaken to the core. And they were upset. And what I want to look at today is how Paul dealt with their anxiety. 
uh, he, he didn't do like I would have done. I would have said, you dummies, I've already told you, you're going in the rapture. Why do you think you're in the tribulation period? I've been teaching you for months and months that you're not going to go through the tribulation period. But Paul doesn't do that. Uh, and, and I would encourage you, when you're dealing with people who are suffering, be gentle with them. Uh, don't be like Job's friends who come by the bedside and tell them how, you know, they're doing everything wrong and they don't have enough faith and they're just uh, not quite measuring up. Uh, and understand, too, that when people are suffering, they often say things they don't mean. They often do. Uh, John Piper calls them words in the wind. You need to treat it that way. Um, I, I've, I've got a friend uh, who, who lost a child not too long ago, and they're always posting real negative things on Facebook and uh, anti-biblical things. And, and, you know, it's tempting to try to argue and debate and correct their theology, but you have to understand they're working. They're trying to process their pain. With things, so be very careful when people are are struggling and suffering, and these Thessalonians they're struggling in their their faith. They're shaken. He says uh, in verse two, he says, "Don't be so quickly shaken." They were upset. Now notice the pronouns in verses uh, 10, 10 through twelve. Them that perish. They receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they might be damned who did not believe the truth. Notice that has nothing to do with Christians. It's all about those that don't believe. Paul doesn't spend any time in his letters talking about the career of the Antichrist. You ever notice that? He doesn't talk about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilences because Paul taught that the rapture of the church happens before all that stuff. So he's not preparing the church for the tribulation period. Amen? Now, Paul's a good preacher. Paul's a good pastor. And if he thought that the church was going through the tribulation period, he would have prepared them for that. But no talk of it whatsoever. No mention of it. But we get to verse 13 and it says, but we, notice the pronouns have changed. Not they and them, but we. We are bound, that means obligated, to give thanks always to God for who? You. Notice the change from they to you, from them to us. Paul said we are obligated to thank God for you. Some of my sweetest times in prayer, I'm going to be very transparent and honest with you. Some of my sweetest times in prayer is when I get my list out. I got my list of, with your names are on there. Even those of you who are even loosely affiliated with us, I write your name down too. And uh, as I go through that list and I begin to thank God for each one in the list and for what God is doing in your life. It's, nothing gives me greater joy than to see God working in your life. And I, and I thank God, you know. And, I, and I, I could go through and, and I could talk about each one of you, how you bless me in some way. And I'm not going to do that because, you know, we'll be here all day. But Paul says we're bound, we're obligated to thank God always for you. And notice what he says here. Your brothers, you are loved by God. 
Now, I want to tell you this this morning. Even though you know it, theologically you know it, okay? But it helps sometimes just to hear it from somebody. I do love you, but God loves you. You are here today because God loves you. You say, well, no, I'm here because my wife drug me to church this morning. (laughs) Well, that's because she loves you and because God loves you. We love him because he first loved us. You're here today as living proof that God loves you. You are loved by God. Let me say this too. God likes you. You know, in our culture, like has become, we've kind of profaned love, haven't we? We use that word so flippantly. Now, to like something is kind of the epitome of, you know, if I like it on Facebook, I really like it. It's just great. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. Now, I asked the Lord yesterday to give me some application to this. And I said, Lord, help help me to feel what they were feeling. Now, what do you think they were thinking? This is a rhetorical question. I'm not asking for answers, but... What do you think they were thinking when they heard that they had missed the rapture? Paul lied to them. How about this one? Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I've got some sin in my life you know, that's going to keep me from going in the rapture. Maybe, maybe, maybe sin is going to keep me from the rapture. Well, if that's the case, that's, that's a dangerous proposition here. We might all be here the day after the rapture. Because sin is not just drinking and cussing and fornicating and adultering. It's ungodly thoughts too and attitudes. And God, y'all are getting quiet on me. And gossiping and backbiting and murmuring and complaining. Anybody complain this week? Don't answer that, don't answer that. You know, we have a lot more to be thankful about than we do to complain about. That's the truth. But, you know, they might be thinking, well, I've done something wrong. I've missed the rapture because my heart's not right. Maybe, maybe God doesn't love us. Maybe something has separated us from the love of God. So I would encourage you to go to Romans 8, not right this minute, maybe in a minute, but not right now. To Go through Romans 8 and go through that list of things, you know. And it's intended to be an exhaustive list. Paul says, shall this separate me from the love of God? Shall this, shall this, shall this? And he sums it up in this. He said, nothing present nor anything in the future will separate me from God's love. And so what Paul does to these shaken saints, the title of my message was going to be, um, what was the title, Judy? I completely forgot. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I told her before the service. Okay. uh, Shaken saints are susceptible to seducing spirits. That was it. Something like that. It was on the tip of your tongue. Shaken saints are susceptible to seducing spirits, you see. Because when you're suffering, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're afraid, the devil will always send somebody your way. Just like Job's comforters came to him and said, Job, you're suffering, but you must have sin in your life. You must not have enough faith, yada, yada, yada. And even his own wife, what did she say to him? Curse God and die. How's that for a helpmate? You know, I'm already going through this trouble and hear my wife saying, just put, your, just put yourself out of your misery. Um, but Paul doesn't do any of that stuff, does he? Paul takes these shaken saints and he says, you need to remember this, guys. 
You're not tribulation people. You're not deceived people. You're not people who hate the truth. You're people who love the truth and God loves you. But he didn't just say God loves you. That would be one thing. He says you're beloved of the Lord. Agapao is the verb in the Greek. I love it. God loves you. He actively loves you. Because God, this is the Father here, has from the beginning, and Greek is in arche. I'm not sure exactly how we should uh, interpret this, but it says He has from the beginning chosen you. You know that? Did you know God chose you? Now, some people are going to accuse me today of being a Calvinist. I'm a Calvinist as far as the Bible is Calvinistic. I mean, that's, that's, and that goes for any particular doctrine. You say, well, how do I know if I'm chosen or not? Here's a real easy, real easy test. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? If you believe in Him, you're chosen. You say, well, I don't know if, I want to, if I'm chosen or not, but I want to be chosen. Do you want to be chosen? It's real simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is a whosoever will, let Him come kind of Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, here's how you can discern the voice of Satan and the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of Satan is the voice of condemnation. The voice of Satan says, stay away. The voice of Satan says, you sinned last night, don't come to church this morning. The voice of Satan says, you sinned this morning, don't even bother praying, give God some time to cool down. The voice of the Holy Spirit is is come language. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Those are the final words of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Holy Spirit will convict you, but He will never condemn you. He convicts you and He says, come. One of my favorite Old Testament scriptures, God says, come, let us reason together. Have you sinned? He said, though your sins be as scarlet, yet they shall be white as wool. Hallelujah. Have you sinned? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Breathe it in, folks. God loves you. God cares about you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He's chosen you from the beginning to salvation. Now that's that's the end. But here's the means. Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. You see how free will and predestination work together? It's not an either or, it's both and. God chose you. In time, he chose you before the foundation of the world. Do you believe that? Some of you don't look convinced. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. When you get there, say, I like you, preacher. (laughs) I didn't ask you to love me. I just said like me. All right, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, past tense, you see that, with all spiritual blessings, not some, in heavenly places in Christ, 
according as He has chosen us in Him before the Sunday morning service. Before you join Deep Springs Baptist Church. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, that seems like a hopeless prospect. <laughs> when you look at, when you survey your life. But it's not. Having predestinated us into the adoption of Jesus Christ by Himself. According to the... Good pleasure of His will. God likes you. God loves you. Now, I, I love certain singers. I don't, I don't listen to all gospel music. One of my favorite singers is Anita Baker. Anybody remember Anita Baker? Her, she was good. And I have this extreme wonderful knack of seeing singers when they're out of their prime, you know. And I never got to see her in her prime. I, I, I hate I, I didn't. But she's got this song that I just love. And she says, I love you just because. Just because I do. God loves you just because He does. It's, it's His own pleasure. I'm glad that God chose me before I was born. Because if He'd have waited until after I was born, He'd have changed His mind, Brother Don. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. I didn't say it. But it was good, so I repeated it. I'm glad He chose me before I was born. And it had nothing to do with anything I had I'd done. God didn't look into the future and say, Whoa, look at Henry. He's really going to turn things around. He's really going to be a great saint. We ought to choose him. Let's pick him for our team. And I know you may not believe this, but I was never really all that athletic in school. I know some of you have a hard time believing that. Ken went to school with me. He knows that I wasn't athletic. And I always hated it when we had some kind of a thing where they were going to pick teams for some kind of sport. Because I knew, I mean, I knew that I knew that I knew I was going to be the last one to get picked. And usually I didn't even get picked. It was like I was the only one that was left. They're like, all right, you're over here. And all the other teammates were like, man, we got him on our team. We wanted to win. <laughs> Putting in right field or third base. <clears throat> Hot corner. But anyway, God picked you. God picked you. He loved you. Before the foundation of the world. Let's go back to First Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians. I'm sorry. We thank God for you. Now, Paul is a great rabbi, and he's, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. You know, they're worried about missing the rapture. Maybe I got something in my life that's caused me to miss out, or maybe God doesn't love me. And Paul says, hey, listen, guys, this thing goes a long way back. God's been thinking about you for a long time. Not only has he not forgotten you, sometimes we may feel like we've been forgotten. We may see other people getting the things that we prayed for. And we think, God, what about me? And sometimes God will let you go through that, I think, just to try you. Just to see what you're made of. You know, you're praying for your loved one to get saved, and all of a sudden somebody else's loved one gets saved. You think, God, I wanted my children to be saved. I wanted my spouse to be saved. Well, you hang in there. 
You hang in there and keep praying. But um, Paul argues from the greater. You know, you guys are worried about the rapture, missing the rapture. Look, God's already got your... He, he was thinking about you before the world was even created. And he's got plans for you that go beyond the rapture. You're, you're going to see that here in just a minute. Verse 14, 2 Thessalonians 2. Whereinto he called you by our gospel. This is... We've been talking about eternity past. This is where God works in time. This is how the elect become chosen. They believe the gospel. You need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You need the word of God to be born again. Now, uh, I was watching college football a lot, and uh, I've noticed they got this ad campaign now. It's a Jesus commercial. Some of you have seen it probably. He gets us. You seen that commercial yet? And it's, real, it's really well done. But if you go to the website, there's no mention of the gospel of Jesus at all. Not, none whatsoever. Uh, it just says things like, well, you know, Jesus' mom was a single mother. And Jesus was a refugee. But nothing about Jesus being the son of God. Nothing about repenting and believing the gospel. And they spent millions of dollars on this stuff. That's great. And the reason they did it is because they said Jesus has had some bad advertising. Listen, folks, the Word of God is all the advertising you need. I'm always suspicious when the world's promoting Jesus. You need to always be suspicious when the world is promoting Jesus. But here we go. He called you by the gospel. That Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross he rose again from the dead. And I thank God for Franklin Graham. He's got a new commercial out, and that thing is just great. It's like the antithesis of this, he gets us. Listen, Jesus does get you, and he knows you need to be saved. He doesn't need to get you. You need to get him <laughs> in your life. But Franklin Graham, he, he's got these ads uh, on uh, national TV saying, look, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. If you believe in him, say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. You can have eternal life. Praise God. Say what you want to about Franklin Graham, but he's always the first one there when there's a disaster. And he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for him. I've got a friend that used to work closely with Franklin Graham's association. And he said, if you understood the kind of attacks that came against that man, it's unreal. The kind of stuff that he faces. I didn't mean to say all that. But anyway, you need to hear the gospel. Now look at the end of verse 14. To the obtaining of the glory. Is that what your Bible says? The obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> now I want you to follow the, the progression of, of thought here. God from the beginning chose you to salvation. Then in time, he called you by the gospel. Now this call, the Greek word is kaleo, is an effectual call. Now Jesus said some things that will ruffle your feathers. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will in no wise cast them out. This is an effectual call. My sheep, he says, hear my voice, they know me. And I give unto them eternal life. This is an effectual call. And it comes by the word of God. In time, 
you're called and you believe the gospel and you're born again. At that moment, you believe. At the moment you believe, you are justified. You know what that means? That means that if you are the most baby infant Christian who probably has all kinds of hang-ups and things in their life, as many of us still do after decades of knowing the Lord. As a baby infant Christian, you have the same privileges that the most senior saint has. <laughs> the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come right at the same place, humble in need of salvation. Baby Christian, justified. All kind of issues, probably don't know a thing about the end times or about sanctification or about redemption or, you know, Calvinism or Arminianism or any of that stuff. Just a baby Christian, just born again, believing in the Lord, and you are justified in the sight of God. And you can't add to that. There's nothing you can do to add to that. You can't make you, you can't make God love you anymore. Somebody needs to hear that today. You can't make God love you anymore. Now we ought to please Him. That ought to be our goal and our aim is to please Him. But you can't make Him love you any more than He already does. And this, this might upset your apple cart too. You can't do anything to make God love you any less. Not a thing you can do. Now, can you disappoint your father? Sure. There are things that my children do that break my heart from time to time. But I never stop loving them. And they never cease to stop, you know, cease to be in my children. God loves us. And He chose us. Before the foundation of the world, He called us in time, and when we believed, we were justified. But that's not the end game, guys. God's got a plan. He's going to see it through to fruition. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to perform it, to complete it, to the day of Jesus Christ. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I told you we'd get there sooner or later. Romans 8. These guys up in the sound booth, they look like they don't have a care in the world. Like, I don't have any PowerPoint today. I ain't nothing to worry about. I'll double up on you next week. I'm just kidding. Thank you. The sound system is sounding good, guys. Thank you for all the work you've been putting in on the equipment and appreciate Donna Judy filling in for Ronnie and Sherry. We miss you, Ronnie and Sherry, if you're not if you're listening, we love you. Romans eight, are you there? Verse twenty eight. And we know. Is that what your Bible says? When you're shaken, when you're going through hard times, don't let what you don't know ruin what you know. There's a lot of things that will come your way that you won't be able to make sense of. God, I don't know why I'm going through this. God, I don't know why this season of life is so difficult. God, I don't know why. I don't know what you're doing. When you don't know what's going on, lean on what you know. 
we know that all things. Is that what your Bible says? That means even the difficult struggles. Even my failures. God can even take my sinful decisions and turn them around and work for His good. That doesn't endorse the sinful decision. You understand. Some of you have taken a detour. You made bad, de bad decisions. And you're like, well, how can I get back on the right path? A detour does not mean you're done for. God can take all things and work them together for good. But this promise is not for everybody in the world. Who's it for? Those that love God. And I love Him because He first loved me. And to those who were the called, according to whose purpose? Oh my. Well, I chose God. Well, He chose you first. Take that. He chose you first. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You've got a destiny. Did you know that? You've got a destiny. You have a destiny. You are destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think, wow, that seems like a pretty far-fetched idea when I look in the mirror. But you have to understand, it's not up to me. It's not up to me. I'm predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also did what? He called. So let me ask you this. Have you been called? If you've been called, then you've also been predestinated. And if you've been predestinated, that also means you were foreknown. You see that? There's a golden chain of redemption here. All right. Moreover, whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Sounds like when God starts something, He finishes it. It sounds like all of God's plans come to fruition. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Can you point to anything that God set out to do that He failed at? Anything. Nothing. Donald Barnhouse, the late Donald Barnhouse, said God never starts anything that He doesn't finish. Now, you can ride around the highway... And you can see all kind of building projects that started but never finished, right? Like that Panthers training facility out there. <laughs> That's the testament of what man can do, or can't do, rather. All right. You still in Romans 8? There's one more step here in the chain. And whom he justified, them he also Past tense. 
You see that? It's, in God's mind, it's already done. Now, there may be some of you in here. I hope all of you in here have experienced those four, first four things. Easy for me to say. I hope you've all been foreknown, predestined, called, and justified. If not, it's real simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's real simple. It's real simple. Whosoever will, let him come. I hope you've all experienced those first four things. But I'm here to tell you, ain't none of you experienced number five yet. You've not been glorified experientially. Theologically, you've been glorified. Positionally, from God's perspective, you have been. But none of you have been glorified. And I know that because of that sour look some of you just gave me. Pinch yourself. Have you been glorified? If I have, I need a new bottle, Brother Don. If this is a glorified body, I need an exchange. I need to know what the exchange policy is. Because this one's got, some, you know, some issues. We've not yet experienced glory, but we're going to. If we're saved. Whom he justified... Them he also glorified. In the past tense, it's done. It's done. So what Paul's saying here is, guys, why are you worried about missing the rapture? God's already had his mind on you from before the foundation of the world, and he's already glorified you from his perspective. He sees you not as you are, but he sees the finished product. Wow. Do you understand the theological ramifications of that? I don't think you do. I really don't think you do. Because when you get down to pray, if you're like me, the devil gets on your back and tells you what a dirty dog you are. And he reminds you of everything that you've done and all the reasons why you're not worthy to talk to God, why you're not worthy to sing praises to Him, why you're not worthy to come to church, why you're not worthy to do this or that. And you need to understand that from God's perspective, He loves you, He chose you from the foundation of the world. Nothing you have done or haven't done has changed His feelings about you. And from God's perspective, if you're a child of God, He sees you as glorified already. He sees the finished product. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I love to watch people make stuff. I can't make Anything but a mess. And Lori will tell you that. I can't, I can't make anything. I can't fix anything. If something breaks, I'm going to call somebody. That's my lot in life. If it breaks, I'm calling them. Because if I don't, I'm going to mess it up even worse. Now, Parks and my father-in-law, Mike, they can restore a car. And they can look at that car when it ain't nothing but just, <laughs> I remember going over and looking, and Mike was restoring a, a, a truck. And that thing was just in pieces, you know. Literally, in pieces. But in his mind, he said, I know what this is going to look like. It's going to look like this, and like this, and like that, and like that. And I'm going to have this here, and this there. And when he was done, it looked like a masterpiece. Same thing with Brother Parks. See, I, you know, they, they see what we see as junk, as scrap metal. They see as a finished product. They see it as a masterpiece. 
You look at yourself in the mirror and you think, wow, what a mess. What a bunch of used parts. <laughs> and God says, no, I see the finished product. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit in here this morning. I see the finished product. And all that pain you're going through right now, and all that suffering and all that struggle, you see, the Bible says if we suffer with Him, we shall reign with Him. Paul says, I reckon, I consider, the Greek word is legizomai. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. Get your eyes off the suffering and get your eyes on the glory. The glory, the glory, the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God sees the final product. God talks to these shaken saints. And Paul reminds them, hey, God loves you. Sometimes we need to just come behind somebody and say, God loves you. Don't underestimate the power of a simple word of encouragement. All right. If you hadn't shouted by now, you're not going to. So Let's, let's close this thing out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I was going to go into chapter 3, but I just don't feel like that's what we need to do today. So we'll, good Lord willing, we'll maybe take a look at that Wednesday night. 2 Thessalonians 2. Therefore, verse 15. Whenever you see a therefore, you need to look and see what it is. Therefore, sorry. I'm overdoing the cliches today. Therefore, in light of what? In light of the fact that God chose you, that He loves you, that He called you, that He's going to take you to glory. Therefore, stand fast. It's a, it's a military term means to be stationary. Don't be moved. Don't let false teaching, don't let your circumstances move you. You probably heard that old chorus, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. You ever heard that? Just like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. <clears throat> I did not mean to sing and I won't do it again, I'm sorry. <laughs> I make a joyful noise, even if I'm the only one who who's joyful. <laughs> Stand fast and hold, hold the tradition. Now, that's not talking about the traditions of men, but it's talking about the Word of God, which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And he ends with a prayer. Now, he's just told them, Stand fast and hold fast. But he knows they might not be able to do that. <laughs> and so what he does is he directs his prayer to God. <laughs> you see that? He says, stand fast and hold the traditions. But look, guys, even if you fall short of this, God's got this. God's got this. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, notice in the mind of Paul, Jesus, there's no difference between Jesus and the Father in terms of their deity, which hath loved us. Again, he reminds them of the love of God. He loved us and has given us temporary relief. Is that what it says? 
Everlasting. You know why the Bible calls it eternal life? It's because it's eternal. That was profound, wasn't it? It's eternal. Eternal consolation and good hope. Oh, goodness. Every one of these I could preach on, a, a whole sermon on them. Through your good efforts. Is that what he says? Through your hard work. Through white knuckling. Crawling on your hands and knees. Holding on for dear life. No. Through what? Grace. From start to finish, folks, this thing is a work of grace. From start to finish, it is a work of grace. You're saved by grace. You're kept by grace. You're going to be taken to glory by grace. Comfort your heart. What's Paul's remedy for a troubled heart? Comfort. Not more trouble. False prophets always seize upon people's fears and exacerbate them. Always. You can tell the mark of a false teacher because he will seize on a... It's kind of like some of our politicians. They'll say, never let a good crisis go to waste. That's the way, the, that's the way false teachers are. Now, I'm telling you this, guys, and I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. You understand that. Never claim to be. I believe in the pre-trib rapture. But things might get dark before we leave here. And I'm not talking about daylight savings time going away. <laughs> things could get bad. You say, well, it can never happen here. Oh, really? Don't kid yourself. You get out there and vote. And don't you vote for anybody that's, uh, that's in favor of abortions that's in favor, in favor of same-sex marriages and, and all that stuff. Uh, and I'm not talking about financial stuff, but I'm talking about biblical values. Because if you don't, you have nobody but yourself to blame when they come in there. Listen, they would love to come in and take away your religious freedom. They would love to do it. It's happening in other places all over the world. All over the world it's happening. They would love to do it. But you pray, you comfort your heart and establish you in every good word and work. God's remedy for you is comfort. And I, and I said, and I got off track here, but I believe if things do get rough in this country, you're going to have false prophets everywhere. Mark my words. False prophets everywhere are going to say, we're in the tribulation period. We've missed the rapture. Follow this. Listen, there's a big market for this kind of stuff. They sell survival gear. They, they, they hold seminars all over the country. You know, come hear me preach about this. You know, the first thing Jesus said when they asked him the sign of his coming, he said, take heed that no man deceive you. Deception is going to get stronger and stronger as the, the end times get closer. Now, is the Lord coming again soon? Yes. We know that He is. We know that He is. The reason we know this is because we see the harbingers of the tribulation period. <laughs> There's no sign for the rapture. We see the harbingers of the tribulation period. Okay? 
And it's like the old theologian John Walford used to say, when you see the Christmas decorations in the store, you know Thanksgiving is at hand. Right? There's no sign for Thanksgiving. You don't see an inflatable turkey in the mall. But as soon as, you know, they've already got the Christmas decorations out in Lowe's. And the trees are expensive, but I'm not going to go there. But, but anyway, they've already got the Christmas trees out, right? That's the sign that you know Christmas is coming. There's no sign for Thanksgiving, but guess what? It comes before Christmas. The tribulation period signs are looming on the horizon. They're not here, but they're looming on the horizon. So you know the rapture is even closer. Amen? Would you stand? So you may be here today shaken, anxious, fearful, wondering if God has forsaken you, wondering if God loves somebody else more than he loves you. And I'm here to remind you as your pastor that God loves you, that he likes you, that he chose you, and that whatever you're facing today, God is not only taking care of your today and your tomorrow, but he's taking care of a million years from now. He sees the finished product. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come to this altar or right where you are. You know, we get these formulas about things, and we think it has to be done a certain way. The Bible doesn't say if you come to the altar and repeat after the preacher that you'll be saved. <laughs> it says if you believe in your heart, Right where you are. Coming to the altar won't save you. There's a lot of people that have come to the altar and went back lost. There's people that walked the aisle, raised their hand, signed a card, shook the preacher's hand. Lost. Salvation is by faith alone. By grace alone. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Trust in Him. Don't worry about whether or not you're the chosen or not chosen. If you believe on Him, you are chosen. And you can believe. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I believe. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I believe the gospel. What is the gospel? I give it to you every Sunday. Let me give it to you one more time, just in case you forgot. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried according to the Scriptures. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And if we believe that and confess Him as our Lord, He will save us. You may be here today going through a rough patch, shaken to the core. Maybe your lifestyle is not what it used to be. Maybe you've become lax in your conviction and your duty to the Lord. God's not here to beat you up, neither am I. God says, would you come? Come, let us reason together. I can never love you any less. And I can never love you any more than I already do. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Would you come?